this morning I'm joined by Dr David Keegan again um, and today we're going to go start a series which will focus on different eye conditions um, and this morning we'll start with the condition of AMD. So thanks very much Dr Keegan for joining us and um, talking us through this condition and being part of this series. Great. Thank you Jim for asking me. Um, so I suppose yes let's start with AMD um, if you could tell us a little bit more what this condition is that would be a good start. Yeah, macular degeneration is a relatively common condition that affects the retina, which is the back of the eye, which uh, turns light signals into electrical signals which go to the brain, and that's how we perceive vision. But macular degeneration affects the very centre part of our retina called the macula, and uh, generally the, the changes are quite mild. A uh, little change in the pigment coloration of the back of the eye or drusen, um, and the, but it can progress in a small number of patients to more uh, severe type degeneration, uh, which is a wearing away of what we call atrophy or development of leak or bleeding at the back of the eye, what we call neovascular or wet type macular degeneration with a reduction in vision. And typically, what kind of age group would this affect? So by its name, you sort of say the risk profile goes up as you get older. So generally, we don't diagnose this condition in people under the age of 55. And even then, it's it's less common in the under 65s. But as you get from 65 to 75 to 85, the risk of developing this condition uh, goes up. But by no means, it's inevitable. We often hear people talk about, well, it's age. That's my eye. No, this is a specific condition. Not everybody over the age of 65 or 75 gets this condition. So we know that it's something that's associated with age, but it's also associated with some genetic risk factors, which are not clearly defined. And there's eight key genes that have been known to increase the risk of getting it, but you don't definitely get it. And there are other environmental risk factors, things that you might do yourself or be exposed to, such as sunlight, smoking, a poor diet, or in some case of extreme obesity, increases the risk of developing age-related macular degeneration. Okay, so if, if there are um, some of the risk factors and stuff, is there any additional potential causes? Well, they're, they're generally it. Uh, as I say, it's a combination of genetic, sort of inherited risk factors, but environmental risk factors. And those interplay together to increase the risk of somebody getting the condition itself. And then as it plays out over life, some people get quite mild symptoms with it, so they're not that badly affected. Uh, but others then get more seriously affected and then need active treatments, which we'll discuss later. And what typically what would the symptoms be? In the early stage, it's often asymptomatic. The people won't be aware of it. It might be noticed by somebody's optometrist or eye doctor when they have a look at the back of the eye and they'll see these little changes at the macula, but the patient won't be aware. That can be followed then by mild blurring symptoms or difficulty reading. And classically, patients find an increased difficulty reading in dimmer light. So they get what we call reduced contrast sensitivity. So reading things like the newspaper, which is black print on a grey background, which is slightly smudgy, becomes a little bit more difficult for these patients, but particularly in dim light. And that can progress usually very slowly over a, over a period of years, but not necessarily progress. So I do advise my patients who've got early stage macular degeneration, don't change anything about their visual activity. Maybe just, we'll talk about some treatments now, but maybe just make some changes to their lifestyle or introduce vitamin supplementation into their diet. But as the condition progresses for that small number of people who do get it, 
they get more severe vision loss in the centre, up to an actual dark patch right in the centre of their vision. And uh, that typically happens with the type of macular degeneration we call geographic atrophy. So they've got this dark spot in the middle, which is quite disconcerting because then you can't make out faces, see the faces of the ones you love, your grandchildren, and it's difficult to watch things on television, for example, and, and to read. The other type, the wet or neovascular type macular degeneration, you can also be associated with the symptoms of distortion. So this can come on quite quickly. So say you look at a tiled pattern in your kitchen or bathroom, instead of straight lines on the tiles, they get distorted or warped, and that would be an early sign. And should, you should attend to your eye doctor or optometrist soon if you do get those symptoms. Um, and you can get sudden loss of vision as well with this. That's less common, but it can happen. And again, if you get that, attend your eye doctor or optometrist. Generally, this happens in one eye and then followed by the other eye in about 30 to 50% of cases. Occasionally, it can happen in both eyes at the same time, but that is uncommon. Okay, um, so moving on to treatments, what type of treatments are available for this condition? Well, like I say, the vast majority of patients have early changes. So what we recommend for those patients is optimize their glasses prescription, maybe introduce a magnifier if they're looking to read, a bright light such as a day lamp, which is available through the NCBI or good lighting stores. Uh, they help very much in the earliest phase of macular degeneration when you've got that reduced contrast sensitivity. Things like high definition televisions, our high definition uh, technological aids such as iPhones or iPads are also very helpful at that early stage. We do recommend that and maybe adding in some magnification or enhanced contrast devices such as the, the readers like the Kindle, uh, they help the uh, patients with those early changes very, very much and they make a fundamental change to their life. If things progress on a little bit more, you may need to introduce uh, more formal magnification in that, and that could be handheld magnifiers or stand magnifiers, and the full range of these are available through the NCBI and, and other sources. Um, and that, again, helps greatly with reading function and, and getting out and about. Now, if you want to try and minimize the progression of macular degeneration from that earlier intermediate stage, you might be advised by your uh, eye doctor to take a supplement such as um, the, what we call the ARIDS-2 formula. That was a large-scale study in the US that showed if you took a specific combination of vitamins and minerals, you would reduce your risk of development of late-stage macular degeneration. Now, to some people, a reduction of risk by about 8 to 20% isn't that much, but it actually has a big impact societally uh, on a population basis for reducing the burden of disease down the line. So if you want to do active things, uh, the ARIS-2 formulation, and that's in included in compounds such as MacroShield Gold, which are available in this country. For the later stage of macular degeneration, if you develop geographic atrophy, unfortunately there's not much active that we can do to reverse that. Again, it's enhanced magnifiers, or you can talk to your doctor about getting intraocular magnifiers, uh, such as small intraocular telescopes, and there's a range of those available now, but they don't have widespread use because it's quite a, a specific group of patients that will benefit from that. So we're looking for active treatments for geographic atrophy, but we've nothing very effective at this stage. For wet type macular degeneration, we've had active treatments available now for 15 years, and they have been groundbreaking in the management of this condition. These are called the anti-vascular endothelial growth factors, and there are a range of these available. Uh, there are generic versions, and there's some uh, specific ones for different companies. 
And what these actually do is they block this molecule called vascular endothelial growth factor, which is instrumental in the development of that wet or neovascular type macular degeneration. And you block that molecule, that uh, membrane regresses back, stops leaking, and you can recover vision in over 70% of patients and stabilize vision in 95% of patients if they have a sustained treatment regime with these injections. It's important, and we haven't done well in this country to date, it's important that we get people in for treatment in a timely fashion and maintain their treatment schedule over years. This is not something that was just one, two, or three injections and the problem goes away. Uh, there's a small minority of patients who will fortunately manage with just three injections, but the vast majority of patients need multiple injections over multiple years. So it's to stick the course with it. I have a patient myself who's had a total of 185 injections between both his eyes, but he's still driving and he's still reading. Uh, he'd be a bit of an outlier, but it's just an example of if you stick the course, you can maintain good visual function. There are others, of course, in spite of treatment, that their vision will slip off over time and there are many studies to demonstrate that. But the, the treatment uh, available, availability for macular degeneration now, compared with 20 years ago, is, is fantastic and has been a game changer in this condition. Certainly sounds if it's been a total um, game changer, as you say. And in terms of if an individual does need those kind of injections, I presume that's a, um, a, an outpatient type arrangement. Yes, we've really been looking at the best ways to deliver that sustained urgent care over a long period of time and we've stuttered into this space in this country it hasn't been well resourced but hospitals have managed to try and do this and the, the situation across the country is much better now with dedicated injection facilities uh, dedicated uh, clinics for patients with macular degeneration to try and enhance rapid access and then referral on for their treatments and so once you get that infrastructure in place, the likelihood of a patient retaining or recovering vision is much greater. Uh, we're also excited about new agents that are coming on stream uh, that are in research stage that might be able to extend the interval between injections. At, at, at this point in time, patients need these injections every four weeks, every eight weeks or every 12 weeks. And so that's quite a burden for the patient and then for the facilities providing it. But new treatments are coming online that might be able to stretch that interval out to six months or maybe even a year. So then we will have enough capacity to treat everybody safely uh, over that period of time. Well, as you say, it's, it's a situation that's constantly evolving. Um, so situations will have to be patient specific according to the resources that are available um, and the situation that presents itself. Absolutely. And this is one of the things about the condition. I was on a conference call uh, there during the week and we can't readily predict how many injections an individual patient will need. We need to keep the monitoring up and the injection schedule uh, going for these patients to optimise their vision. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I suppose you're outlining there different treatments for the condition. Um, but are you could you suggest any other helpful rehabilitation supports or services that could be useful for an individual living with AMD? Absolutely. As outlined er earlier on, I still feel the mainstay is a good refraction, good glasses, cataract uh, surgery if it's indicated, uh, introduction of low strength magnifiers in the early stages of the condition, uh, a bright lamp. Uh, you would consider about starting to take um, 
vitamin and mineral supplementation, such as the ARIDS2 supplementation in those early stages of the condition. Uh, as if the condition gets worse, well, then you need to enhance the magnification effect that you need and go into the, the more evolved magnifiers that are available through NCBI, the handheld, the stand magnifiers, and then the electronic magnifiers up to including the, the CCTV type magnifiers that you supply. In addition to that, so that's the very practical way you enhance your reading ability and enhancing what you have. You'll also find that a lot of patients struggle with the vision loss for macular degeneration as they struggle with vision loss for any condition and not to be afraid to come forward to look for that, you know, that emotional, psychological support that you may need at that point in time. One of the staggering findings from a study around sight loss is that patients with vision loss are eight times more likely to suffer from depression. So don't be shy about discussing this with your family or loved ones and to seek professional help if you see that it's necessary. And that can be arranged with the National Council for the Blind through Fighting Blindness and other organisations in the country. True, because um, such a diagnosis can certainly be so overwhelming for a, a patient. So um, for them to, to know supports are available, all types of supports are available for them is very important. Absolutely. If anyone is interested in accessing NCBI services, they can access them through our helpline 1850 43, 1850 33, 43, 53. Um, so can I this, have one other condition um, that runs with macular degeneration in this area as well, because it's well, it's under recognized and under reported in this country. It's Charles Bonnet syndrome. This is where patients with vision loss and it's most commonly in macular degeneration. They get visual hallucinations. They see figures uh, of people or small people or faces or animals uh, not associated with any sound or that. And they'll see them often in dim light at dusk or first thing in the morning. And it can be quite terrifying for an elderly patient, particularly if they're living on their own, to see these. People are often reluctant to report these symptoms because they feel they'll be interpreted as suffering from a psychosis or a mental health problem, and it's not the case. I would encourage anybody with macular degeneration or any visual problem, if they do get these visual hallucinations, report them to a family member, report them to your GP, tell them that you've heard this piece on the radio or the podcast about it, and get a referral into an eye care professional such as an eye doctor. And we'll discuss it and take it from there. The treatments aren't very satisfactory around it, but very often the reassuring words that this is part of it, it's not a psychosis, it's not a mental health issue, is reassuring enough for the patients affected by it and their family members. Very well said, yes, because I mean, um, reassurance is, is such a, a key factor for everybody to, to know that uh, things are, are okay. Um, Absolutely. Well, listen, we'll conclude there um, and that we'll, we'll pick up this series again, talking about uh, other eye conditions. Um, and thanks very much, Dr. Keegan, for your time. Right. And just to repeat that if anybody does want to contact NCBI services, they can call the helpline 18 50 33 43 53. Many thanks. Thank you, June.